3. We are in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a, uh, was a man, and the book that he wrote took place during the exile of the people of Israel. The, the kingdom was split into two parts. There was a northern kingdom, which was taken by the Assyrian Empire in 721, and they were never heard from again because they mixed with the local, the local people, and they had no uh, ethnic distinctiveness. The southern kingdom was taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army in 605 BC. And then in 587, because the people didn't like that, they rebelled, and then Nebuchadnezzar came back and destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, killed most of the people, and just left the poorest of the poor the slaves to remain in in Israel. Everyone else was taken away. Um, and like I said before, Nehemiah, just to bring everyone up to speed, Nehemiah is a three-part trilogy. This is the sequel of a prequel. In, in the original book, in the Hebrew Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah were one book. And Ezra had two parts, and Nehemiah is the third part. Um, Jeremiah, the prophet, also, in your Bible, promise that the people of Israel will be in captivity and punished for their disobedience for 70 years under the Babylonian Empire. And that came to pass because after 70 years, the Babylonian Empire was taken over by the Persian Empire, which is where we are today in, in the book. So in Israel 1 through 6, God sent uh, Zerubbabel, who was a man that was commissioned by Cyrus the Great to rebuild the temple, because the temple was where God's presence was at the time. Right? So with the temple being destroyed, God's presence was no longer with the people, and he felt compelled, and he brought people, and he rebuilt the temple. And then, about 60 years later, Ezra wanted to reteach the law because they had lost or forgotten um, the law of Moses, the Torah, which is the most important five books for the people of Israel. The rules, the laws, the way you live and behave was lost. And Ezra came back 60 years later with Artaxerxes, allowed Ezra to go back and teach the people. He was the first scribe. You see scribes a lot in the New Testament interacting with Jesus. And then, at around the same time, Artaxerxes uh, was still the emperor and Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. And he heard that the walls and the gates of the city itself were destroyed. And he was very distraught. And he had a vision to rebuild the city, the walls of the city. And I said this before, but what I love about Nehemiah, he's not a pastor. He's not a religious leader. He's just a guy who has a vision for what God wants to do in, in his life and the lives of his people. He prays and God answers. Right? We talked about in chapter 1 about you know, he encountered a difficult circumstance. Right? And he prayed and he wept and he fasted. And then last week, we talked about God answered the prayer because he had an opportunity to speak to the king about his people. He took a risk by sharing what his dream was. And God answered his prayer. And he had a plan as well to rebuild the temple. He didn't just go in blind. He got, when he prayed, he said, this is how I want to do it. And uh, Artaxerxes sent him. 
And he went and he looked at the temple and he had planned for his people and said, let's rebuild. That's where we are today. So let's read the passage. Now I'm going to have up the, um, the picture of the city of Jerusalem as I'm reading. So I think it's going to be easier for some of us to kind of understand. It starts from the north. Okay, the northern, um, the Sheep Gate, I believe. So, let's read. Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the Sheep Gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hesaniah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of uh, Meshezabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their lord. Joeda, the son of Hesiah and Meshulam, the son of Asodia, repaired the gate of Geshenah. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them repaired Melatiah the Gibeonite and Jadon the Maranathite, the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them Uziel, the son of um, Harhiah, goldsmiths, repaired. Next to him Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Raphael, the son of Hur, ruler of the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jedea, the son of Herumaf, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of... <laughs> this is challenging. Hashabaniah repaired. Now, we'll get, we're going to have a real sermon after this. Don't worry, okay? <laughs> Um, Hashan of Benia repaired. This is verse 11. Melchizedek, the son of Haram, and Hashab, the son of Parathmoab, repaired another section of the Tower of the Ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Helobesh, ruler of the district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. Hanun and the habits of Zenoah repaired the valley gates. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gates. Malkijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kohoza, the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah of the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbek, ruler of half the district of Beth Zor, repaired a point opposite of the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool, and as far as the house of the mighty men, as, or the heroes, as it says on, on the map. After him, the Levites repaired, Rehum, the son of Benai, next to him, uh, Heshabiah, ruler of the half district of Kelia, repaired for his district. After him, their brothers repaired. Bavai, the son of Hennadad, ruler of the half-district of Keilah. Next to him, Ezra, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the armory to the buttress. 
After him, Baruch, the son of Zabbai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakuz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area, repaired. After them, Benjamin and Hashub repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of uh, Mysiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. After him, Binuai, the son of Hanadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. Palau, the son of Uzai, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. After him, Padiah, the son of Parosh, and the temple servants living on Opal, repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east and the projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Opal. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired each one opposite his, his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Imra, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the son of Zelah, repaired another section. After him, Meshep, uh, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Melchijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants, opposite the muster gate and to the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. What is this all about? That is a great question to give you the answer. With the story. When I was, I was just actually telling somebody this today. When I was in university, I was a musician. I got my undergrad degree in music education. And I was part of the orchestra and the symphonic wind ensemble. And it was one of the most uh, powerful experiences of my, of my life because we, it was a zero credit class. So you got no credit for it, but everyone wanted to be in it. You had to audition and prepare. We did it three times a week for an hour. And we would spend months and months rehearsing as a symphony for one performance. Usually, have a performance like at Christmas time and in the spring, in May. And first of all, you had to practice on your own, which could be intense for hours. So you're ready to play in front of the group. And as a group with an orchestra, you know, you, there's sections that you're coming at the wrong time. You have to rehearse a lot. And through all of that effort, you get one performance, and that's it. And you know, why, do you, why do we spend all that time doing that? Because we loved it. We were musicians. And not everyone was like a professional musician. They were maybe they had different majors. One guy I knew was a, um, he wanted to be like a mortuary expert and wow. do funerals. But he was an incredible trumpet player, and he wanted to be part of the ensemble. And the conductor, he makes no music, but he makes sure that everything else is happening the way it's supposed to be happening, right? The musicians are the ones who make the music. The musicians are the ones who do the practice and the preparation. Now, of course, the conductor prepares as well, so he knows when to come in. 
But if the conductor's up there, there's no music, right? Nothing's happening. But with the symphony, with the people, that makes it sound smooth and beautiful and amazing and sublime. The symphony does the work for just one performance. And I want to say that is very much what chapter 3 is about. God works through the individual practice of our lives, through the mundane, through the simple. So my big idea is that God, like these people, like this entire chapter I read, he's working in the mundane. He's working in the normal part of life. It took about 52 days, 52 days to repair the wall. And he works through whatever abilities we have. And he, work, he works through our personal walk with him. So my first point is that God works. God's work uses people in the mundane. I need a drink because that was a long chapter. <laughs> this chapter, right, is just filled with people building the wall. Right? No, no majestic vision, no weeping, no crying, just all the people building parts of the wall. Right? The idea of building the wall is the grand vision, right? Nehemiah is one who has this vision. He he prays, he weeps, he's he's ashamed of this wall. He's like, I want to be part of repairing this. I want to I want to leave these people. I want to go back. I want to leave my good job, being the cupbearer to the king, and I want to go and be part of what God's doing here. I think I can lead them. And 100%, that's true. And vision is critical. I said, you know, the church has been working on vision. We're having a meeting today to talk about the vision and the mission of our church. And it says in the Bible, without vision, the people perish. And with that vision came a plan, right? Nehemiah had a plan in chapter 2. He wanted letters to get through the different areas. He wanted uh, a letter from the, the keeper of the king's forest to build, to have the wood to build, rebuild the city. And then he also went at night to look throughout the entire wall um, to see what needed to be repaired and how, how it was going to be done. So he had a great plan. After the plan, though, comes the work, right? You can have, you, I know many people have great visions, great missions, great plans, but if you don't actually do the work, nothing happens. It's just a dream, right? Right? You can have goals. We have New Year's resolutions, but if we don't actually do the work, they have no value at all because it wasn't done. So the work is the nitty-gritty. These men built the wall, men and women, rebuilding the wall. They had their day jobs. They had their lives. But they spent all their extra time building the wall. Not super glamorous. Right? I mean, that chapter's not a very glamorous chapter. It's just people and the parts of the wall they built. And it's slow work. I mean, it took 52 days. So if they did it every day, it would be almost two months before they finished. One day at a time. And they have to balance their other responsibilities. It's not like these people were wealthy. These people were poor. So they had to do their jobs during the day. 
They had to raise their kids. They had to pay their taxes to the Persian Empire. They do all that stuff that we all do. They had to do that too. And on top of that, with their free time, they spent building the wall. So it's not like they got like a free pass from God. God told me to provide manna from heaven so you can build the wall. That happened previously. But in this situation, God did not, did not give them an extra brick. It's like, this is what you do with your extra free time. You build this wall. <coughs> Cooking, cleaning. They had to do all that. And that's what it takes, the mundane, often the slow, the grind, to achieve God's purpose. In, our, in many of our lives, yes, we have those moments of vision and uh, mountaintop experiences with God and with our lives, and those are great, and I commend those, but a lot of it's not, right? A lot of it's just doing your devotions, living your life, trying to engage with people, when you have a good day and, and when you have a bad day. But the people, because they work together, it was actually finished in a relatively short time. 52 days is not that long. And that's, we talked last week about God's vision for your life. Right? And God's vision for your life will likely just take a lot of slow work. Usually it's not like a one-step process. Yeah, you want to figure out what God wants for you, but to actually do it, to do the work, it takes the slow, the daily, the grind, right? Many of us here have kids. Kids, the vision for our kids, we want them to be wonderful, kind, Jesus-loving adults that can sit around our table, right, when we're older. And that's a beautiful vision. But you know what? A lot of it's just getting up, keeping the kids from killing each other, making them food, doing the normal daily stuff, and it does not feel very grand. It does not feel very amazing. It does not feel very spiritual. It feels like, oh my gosh, I just got to go to bed so I don't kill my one of my kids and keep them alive for another day. It's just a lot of work. It's a grind. You just do it day in and day out. Good days and bad days. Teaching them to get along. Praying with them. Doing the routine. Dealing with tons of bodily fluids that kids produce. That's, that's not super spiritual or super amazing or, super, or full of vision in God's purpose. right? But you know that I'm doing this and this will eventually lead, God willing, to producing these adults that love each other, love me, are around my table. Right? That's the whole goal. Same with any part of serving the kingdom. Right? There's people in the limelight, like myself. Right? There's the worship leader. We, you see us. But there's a ton of people you do not see. Right? The setup, like I mentioned before, the sound. All those things, you never notice them until there's a problem, right? But those people make this service happen. Make church happen. Right? You don't just, you know, I even myself as the pastor, I didn't just submit a resume. I was part of this church from the beginning. And I did everything that everyone else has done at some point. Even setting up, which I am not a sound person. I'm not technical at all. Many can testify to that, but... 
James and Brittany, one time when they were had to travel, they printed me off a piece of paper with some pictures on it, and I did it. Not because I loved it, not because it was easy, but this is what needed to be done for that week. I've stacked chairs, I've helped, and many of you are doing that. And that's, that's what fulfilling God's vision is a lot of. Okay, a lot of God, fulfilling God's vision might be something that's behind the scenes. You're not getting a lot of stardom, not a lot of limelight. Maybe you're not a diva that you want to be. But God is working through that. God is in that. This rebuilding of this wall chapter is all about that. Those people, are, their names are in the Bible now. Right? Just doing their daily grind to build a wall, to fill the vision that Nehemiah had. Their, their names are in the Bible. And I think God has great things for you, even if you're never noticed by people. Right? I, one, one of my great friends and a pastor of the church, he says, you know, I'll probably be, he was a pastor, I'll be polishing probably many of your crowns in eternity. Because no one saw, everyone saw the, the things that I did as a pastor, but I don't get to see that all the things that other people did for the Lord. And in heaven, that will all be revealed. Right? That's why the Beatitudes are there. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Right? Because those people who don't get any of the attention serving Jesus faithfully, they're going to be the ones that are going to be leading in heaven. Because they did whatever God asked. And the leaders of our church, were, these were the people, they didn't submit a resume, right, to me. They were just already doing the work. They were already serving. They were already doing the stuff that, the nitty gritty, the grinds. No hidden agenda. Leaders, I didn't mention this beforehand, so I'm sorry. But if you guys, the people who are the deacons of the church, can you stand up for a minute? Just stand up for a minute so we can see who you are. Yes, Joe Malal, mm -hmm. all of you guys. Okay? These people, they weren't, like, they didn't submit a resume to me. Here's my, here's my impressive resume for leadership. No, but they were just serving. They were giving. They were leading worship. They were doing all of the things, setting up, tearing down. That's why I incorporated them into the leadership of the church. Because they were doing what like, the people in chapter 3 were doing, just doing the work. Right? And that's, so you have questions about what's the path to leadership? Well, just do the, if you're doing the work and you want to go above and beyond, you do that and I will notice you. And we'll, we'll, put, you, we'll put you to more work. That's the, the, the gift of leadership. You need to do more work now. I've got so much more for you to do. But that's what it is, right? All believers are apart. And they serve. And this is what Jesus said, right? The parable of the talents, right? He gives one person ten, one person five, one person one. And the, the, the people that reinvested the ten and the five, he says, you are faithful and little. Now, you, I'll make you set you over much, right? Faithful and little, faithful and much. This is a very kingdom principle, right? These people were faithful in doing, building the wall. All these men and women I listed, 
They're faithful in doing God's work. I, I had a friend of mine who lived in Quint for some time, and he was very intelligent, super theological mind, very gifted with the Bible. And I asked him at one point, I was on the leadership team of the church, I'm like, hey, can you, you want to be one of the, the deacons of our church? And he said, no, you know, I feel like I'm called to be an elder, not to be a deacon. I want, I want the top position. And people are called to different things, of course. But I think he missed out on an opportunity because he wanted to be at the top I had offered him an opportunity to, to serve, to be a leader. I knew he'd have to be the top leader right away. And he missed out on tons of opportunities to what God was doing in Kuwait. So you, there's the principle of being faithful in the little things God gives you. Even if it's not like a wonderful thing, even if it's not your favorite thing to do, be careful not to miss out on an opportunity to build God's kingdom here in Kuwait. So, God works in the mundane. Secondly, God's work includes people of all skills and abilities. Not one of these people building the wall were professionals. Not a single one. And actually, if you look through the text, right, you'll see in verse 1, there's high priests, okay, pretty powerful position, building the wall. Governors of the sections of the city of Jerusalem, just like in Kuwait, there's different sections of the city people have control over, the Baladia, right? There's different governors and sections. They're also building the wall. Verse 8, you've got goldsmiths building the wall, perfumers building the wall. You've got other rulers of Jerusalem building the wall. In t- verses 12, 14, 15, 16, 18, 19. In verse 17, you have the Levites. These are God's, uh, the sons of Aaron that were working on the temple, the, the, the 10% of, that God chose to be part of serving the temple, building the wall. You got priests, you got servants at the temple building the wall. He, it's mentioned again, other goldsmiths in verses 31 and 32, and then merchants, buyers and sellers, they're all building the wall, right? None, none of these are people who are professional wall builders. They have normal jobs, but God called them to this work, and they're doing it on their free time. Right? So we had laborers, servants, priests, leaders. No one was too great or too lowly to do the work. And that is so true for us. We all have the opportunity to build what God is doing in your life. You don't have to be a professional pastor or priest or worship leader or musician, or sound technician. You don't need to be a professional to do this for the kingdom. You can do your job and still build the ministry in Kuwait. You can do your job and still build the ministry in Kuwait, whatever God has for you. And my question is, what is your part? This is why I mentioned last week, but I want you to ask you again to pray. What does God want you to be doing in here, here in Kuwait? 
What does Jesus want you to be doing here? Yes, you have your job, you have your responsibilities. Some of them can be quite overwhelming, but God still has a plan for you and a purpose for you while you're here in Kuwait, or as long as you're here. I'm not the ministry, you are the ministry, right? This is from Ephesians, New Testament. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints the believers, for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So who's doing the work of the ministry? The saints, the believers. Right? These other people, pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers, they're to equip them, train them, teach them, but you're doing the work of the ministry. <coughs> Like I said, without the, without the musicians, the conductor would be doing nothing, right? There is no church without you. There can be a church without me. If I'm preaching to nobody, there's no church, right? If the worship team is, is singing to nobody, that's not church. But you are the ministry. And how, so the question you need to ask yourself is, how can I do the ministry in Kuwait? The ministry just means service. How can I serve God? How can I serve this community? How can I serve these people in this land where I am? Now, maybe that means making sure, as simple as doing your devotions every day. Am I spending some time with the Lord, reading His Word and praying to Him and seeking Him? Being involved in a small group. Serving in some capacity in church. Sharing coworkers about Jesus, maybe starting a lunch Bible study. In a corporate world, asking people to, you know, I've been asking people to serve and invite and give. Right? This is, it's not, and it's not just an individual thing. Part of that's individual, but you can see in this whole chapter, in this whole book, it's a corporate thing. We're doing it together, building the wall. No, it's just individuals building the wall. So pray about, this is my, my asking, pray about how can you build part of the kingdom wall in Kuwait. You all have some time, some talents, and treasure that you can give to the kingdom. Whatever your skills are, whatever your abilities are, whatever your jobs are, you are in a unique place Right, it says in Esther, for such a time as this, I am here to serve the Lord. So for such a time as this, for you in Kuwait, what does God have for you? So it includes people of all skills and abilities, no matter what they are. From the, the highest executive to the low, lowliest street sweeper. God has something for all of us to do to build his kingdom in Kuwait. So he works in the mundane. He works in people of all skills and ability. And finally, his work requires people to fortify their personal lives. If you look through this text, in verse 10, Jediah, verse 23, Benjamin and Heshub, Azariah in 26, the temple servants, and 28, the priests, and 29, Zadok, and 31, Meshulam. 
over eight times different groups of people built opposite their own house. They built opposite their own house. Why would they do that? Because they wanted to secure their own safety first. Right? They're building the wall. I'm going to start with my own house. Because if other people come in, I don't want my house to be the weakness. That's where all the, the hordes of enemies come in and destroy me and my family. And it was in their best interest. That's, I think that's why some of these people built the wall. It's like, well, I'm going to build this wall at least close to my house so that is secure. It was in their best interest to fortify the wall near their homes before going elsewhere. And I think that can apply to us as well. We also, as believers, need to fortify our lives first. Right? We need to fortify our lives as believers. And if, what that means is if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this message has no value to you until you turn and love Jesus. You cannot serve Jesus or have a vision for Jesus if Jesus is not your Lord and your Savior in your life. If you're not sure about my relationship with Jesus, like, do, do I love him? Do I know him? Do I believe that he died for my sin and rose on the third day? If you're not 100% sure of that, you need to talk to somebody. You need to talk to me. I'll pray for you. I can show you, I tell you more about what Jesus did. Christ died to give you life in him. Life and hope and purpose and meaning. That's what Jesus says, I've come that they might have eternal life. Life to the fullest. Abundant life. Otherwise, you are dead. And dead people cannot have a vision for what God is doing. And Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, he gives meaning and purpose and hope to your life. So that's the first step. You want a vision for Jesus? You need to know Jesus and have a relationship with him first. Second, if you are a believer and you're not seeing God move in your life in any significant way, maybe it's because you need to fortify your life. Maybe you need to, there's some things in your life that need to change, you need to give to Jesus and ask him to empower you to be rid of those sins. Interesting verses in, verse, in, in the fourth chapter of Luke, his description of Jesus going to uh, face the temptation by the devil as he was fasting, says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. So he was full of the Spirit, and he was led by the Spirit to be tempted. And after he overcame the temptations of the devil and four days of fasting, in verse 14 it says, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. So you want the power of the Spirit working in your life? You need to face your temptations and your weaknesses and overcome them. The Holy Spirit will not work in your life for miracles and powerful things until he works in your life to change you, to be, make you more like Jesus. All believers have the Holy Spirit. But the first job of the Spirit is to empower you to overcome temptation and sin. 
Then he gives you power to do things for his kingdom. If your life is a train wreck, God is not going to let you heal people because they're going to get a mixed mis message about who you are. Like, well, he, he healed my son, but he, he is a serial adulterer. Right? God, is, God does not work that way. God will not give you great miracles and power to work until you honor him with your life. Now, of course, we're imperfect as you fortify the wall. I'm not saying it's perfection. There is no perfection in this life because we're all sinners. But if there are patterns of sin and darkness in your life, you need to ask for that first. Like Nehemiah, he asked for change. He sought the Lord. And you need to seek the Lord. You also need to get an accountability with other believers who know what you're going through so they can encourage you and help you change to be more like Him. If you want God's vision for your life to be actuated, you need to live for Him first. You need to fortify the wall of your life. And then, once your, your, your personal wall is fortified, then you can start to fulfill God's vision for you in Kuwait. I believe in the gifts for today. God does prophetic things. He does miracles. He does healings. He does speaking in tongues. But I think the, the, why we don't often see that is because people's personal lives are not transformed by the Holy Spirit. So God is not going to work through them by the Holy Spirit. So you need to pray about this. And in conclusion, as the band comes forward, you need to be a vessel for him first so you can be used by him. And your life, you're, each of us are part of God's great orchestra, are part of building God's wall. And like I said, a lot of it is private practice and slogging it out so you can rehearse with a larger group and give the performance, give the vision of your life. But a lot of it takes daily tasks and simple obedience. Right? God wants you just to have a pattern of obedience in his life in the day in and day out. Having that quiet time. Engaging with people in, 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 at work, doing your best, spending time with your family, your kids, your friends. It's not usually glamorous. But God, and also God can use you no matter what your station, no matter what your job is in life. Whether you work for the emir or you're sweeping the streets, God still can use you to build his kingdom. God wants you to be part of his vision for Kuwait, for the church, for others. And finally, we need to pray and ask God for any areas of brokenness in our lives, in my life, any patterns of sin. I'm preaching to myself here too. That he can rebuild what's in our lives first so that he can build through our lives. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for Nehemiah chapter 3, even though it seems like a bunch of names and words. These principles we can take with us in our lives, that if we're faithful in little, we be faithful in much. And no matter what our jobs are, we can be part of your vision. And that you, Holy Spirit, it's not we have to force ourselves to work harder to be more obedient, but Holy Spirit, you empower us to be obedient. 
You change us. So we ask you, if there's areas in our lives that need to change, let them change. And let us be a part of that working in our own sanctification, in our own growth as believers. And I ask that you bless everyone who came here this morning, that you'd be with them, that you would show yourself to them, that you would speak to them. As God, you spoke to me, that you would speak to them. It's not my words, it's your words, that you, Holy Spirit, would speak to their hearts, whatever area of, of their lives that, they need, that needs to change. Lord, we just ask for this in your great name, King Jesus. Amen. Let's stand up on our feet. We'll do one last song. I'll give you the benediction.